0: All right, how's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is Michael Lim, Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and historian. So it is Monday, June 20th, 2022. And if you've been watching the African History Network show and watching my broadcast, you know we've been dealing with some of the real history of Juneteenth and separating fact from fiction, okay? And we know that uh, June 20th is the the celebration of the actual federal, federal holiday. So a lot of federal buildings are closed and you have uh, even state offices in 24 states that are shut down and, and uh, state workers are getting uh, a paid day off. 26 states are not recognizing the federal holiday. Um, in some of my presentations and lectures I've been doing, I, I did Juneteenth weekend in the Metro Detroit area. I talked about, um, separating fact from fiction when it deals with the history of Juneteenth. And we dealt with things like why the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. We dealt with things like, uh, it was the 13th Amendment ratified December 6, 1865. Abraham Lincoln had no authority to free the slaves in the South because they have seceded from the Union, et cetera. So uh, I've been celebrating Juneteenth for uh, about 10 years Been doing lectures for about 10 years. Um, but this presentation here today, I wanna deal with something very specific. Uh, Juneteenth did not free all black slaves in Texas. It did not free all African slaves in Texas. And I've talked about this before and in the presentations I did this past weekend and also media interviews that was done with me, uh, leading up to Juneteenth. Also, uh, we've talked about how some slave owners in Texas kept their African slaves for an additional year, an additional season. Some sources say to get, uh, another season's worth of crops harvested and, and, uh, grown and planted things like this, right? We also know that you're going to have, um, Texas was a safe haven for slave owners. So because there was less of a presence of union troops in Texas, you're going to have slave owners taking their African slaves from Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, things like this into Texas. All right. But also was was long known to a, a much lesser extent is even though they're going to hold some of the African slaves. So there's two approximately 250,000 of them in Texas. Okay, not just Galveston, Texas, but in Texas. We know that on June 18th, Major General Gordon Granger arrives at the beach there in Galveston, Texas with about 2000 Union troops. Many of them were um, African-American men. Okay, about 2000 Union troops, many of them African-American men. And they are there to enforce general order number three. OK, you all have to bear with me. I'm broadcasting on my smartphone because my laptop died on me Friday, about 10 minutes before I was supposed to do Roland Martin unfiltered uh, Roland Martin shows. I had to broadcast his show from my smartphone and uh, I got to send my laptop to the insurance company uh, tomorrow to see what they can do with it. So I'm crippled without my laptop I run my business from it and do everything from that. So I'm um, broadcasting from a smartphone, so just bear with me. So um, was not talked about a lot is, is another thing that we're going to deal with in this presentation. Some slave owners did not want to free their enslaved Africans, so they killed them. Some slave owners in Texas did not want to free their enslaved Africans when General Order Number Three was delivered by Major General Gordon Granger. Now keep in mind, uh June 19th was the date agreed upon to celebrate the enslaved Africans there in Galveston, Texas, but in Texas in general, getting the news that the Civil War was over for all practical purposes and that uh they were free. Okay. But Major General Gordon Granger is going to go throughout Texas for almost up to a year. Issuing General Order number three, and he's there to physically take back control of Texas away from the Confederacy. So it took military force to enforce General Order number three. All right. So number one. Juneteenth did not free all African slaves in Texas. And I I talked about this last year, but we're going to go deeper into it here. And I was watching news coverage of Juneteenth, you know, this whole weekend and the week leading up to uh, June 19th. And I was watching news coverage today and they were saying, you know, this was the last day of slavery in this country. No, it's not. That's absolutely false. That That was not the last day of slavery in this country. When we talk about the history of Juneteenth, we have to correct the history of Juneteenth and we have to protect the history of Juneteenth. If you saw me on Fox Soul TV, uh, the Tammy Mack show, uh, they interviewed me uh, Wednesday, June 15, 2022. They had me as a, a panelist. The topic was uh, should Juneteenth be, be a federal holiday? Yes, it should be a federal holiday. This is the only federal holiday that even recognizes that slavery existed in this country but we have to correct the history of Juneteenth and protect the history of Juneteenth. This gives us an opportunity with Juneteenth being a federal holiday. This gives us an opportunity to push into the national uh, conversation in cable news, local news, radio, print, uh, 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 newspapers, magazines, things like this. This gives us an opportunity to Push into the national conversation a history about this country that Republicans and state legislatures are passing laws to suppress the teaching of this history. Okay, so we have to use this as an opportunity to give America the massive history lesson that America desperately needs. But we have to correct the history of Juneteenth and protect the history of Juneteenth. It was not the last day of slavery. It was not the last day of slavery in this country. And uh, it's not the last day of slavery in Texas, because you're going to have some slave owners that keep their African slaves for an additional year to 1866. And the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves, as I've talked about in previous presentations, because it was a military strategy that Lincoln issued. And the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, which it was issued September 22nd, 1862 and it stated that the territories in rebellion that part of the Confederacy the Confederate States of America if they did not come back into the Union by Ju- January 1st 1863 the slaves would be set free and then it goes on to give exemptions for the border states like Maryland Missouri Kentucky and Delaware and those those states that stay loyal to the Union the border states they were allowed to keep their slaves so Maryland does not abolish slavery until November 1st 1864 which is almost two years after the Emancipation Proclamation so I was watching MSNBC today and I'm hearing uh, reporters on MSNBC saying oh in Galveston Texas they got the news that they were free because of the Emancipation Proclamation two and a half years after it was issued but nobody said that that the African slaves in Maryland were free almost two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was issued. Either. The Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. This is why it's important to go to archives.gov, the U.S. National Archives uh, website or loc.gov the Library of Congress website and read all of these documents read the Emancipation Proclamation read the US Constitution read the Declaration of Independence read the 1964 Civil Rights Act the 1965 Civil Rights Act you have all that information there okay so it's going we know it's going to be the 13th amendment ratified December 6 1865 when Georgia ratifies the 13th amendment that's legally going to end chattel slavery in this country because It it took a constitutional amendment to do this because slavery was sanctioned by the U.S. Constitution. When you talk about Article one, Section two, Clause three, which dealt with three fifths uh, compromise, which did not say we were three fifths of a human being is dealing with counting three fifths of the of the slave population in states that uh, own slaves, especially the southern states, because a lot of the northern states had already abolished slavery by 1787. And it is dealing with, uh, for the purpose of apportionment and taxation, for the purpose of determining how many seats in the House of Representatives slave holding states would have. It's based upon population. So how do you count the slave population? Do you count the 100% of the population? Do you count the full population in states like Virginia and Alabama and things like this? You count the full population, uh, or, 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 uh, 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 you know, Virginia, uh, you, you count the full population, you count the uh, uh, population, uh, you count half of the population, you count three quarters of the population. The South want to count the full population, the, North, the northern states are saying, wait a second, if you count 100 percent of the slave population in those southern states, then you're going to have the southern states will have total dominance in the House of Representatives because the northern states have a larger population of free people okay but the southern states had a larger population in total when you counted in their african slaves so that's what the three-fifths compromise is it's not saying we were three-fifths of a human being and at the same time the full population of free african americans in 1787 and subsequently after that in 1790 when the first census was taken etc the 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 full population of Free African Americans was counted for the purpose of apportionment as well. Okay, so Article Four, Section Two of the U.S. Constitution laid the foundation for the future Slave Act of 1793 and 1850. So slavery was sanctioned by the U.S. Constitution. Uh, so it took a constitutional amendment to formally legally end slavery in this country. All right, now there was an article. From, and how's everybody doing? Share this broadcasting on social media platforms. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like. I'm broadcasting from my smartphone. My laptop crashed on me. Uh, so I'm trying to get it repaired or replaced or what happened. Okay. Uh, also visit our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Theafricanhistorynetwork.com is our new website. I built it before my laptop uh, went down on me. So we have my DVD lectures. Like I have a two and a half hour lecture dealing with the real history of Juneteenth. We go deep, deep into this history. Uh uh, this presentation. Juneteenth history, emancipation day, but not independence day. We never got our 40 acres in the mule. Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign, we're coming to get our check. So this is at our website, the African History It's a new website. We have it in uh, uh DVD format. If you want a digital download format, uh, email us and uh, we have a digital download format also. OK, that's on sale. Ten dollars. And you can also register for the online history classes. I teach on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. That's a 10 week online history course that I teach. We get deep into this history. And on uh, Saturdays, uh, that I teach that one on Sundays. Saturdays I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahafa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they've been teaching in schools. So we give you more information uh about those. but, but you can register for those classes and the discounted at our website, at Af- uh the African dot com. All right, so there was a good article that I posted on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and my personal page, Michael M. Hotel. Uh posted this um this this article came out June 19th, 2022 from The Washington Post. Not all enslaved black people in Texas were freed on Juneteenth. Not all enslaved black people in Texas were freed on Juneteenth. Apparently, people in mainstream media didn't read this article because this is what I've been saying for years. And this article is written by Denine L. Brown for The Washington Post. And I've read a number of articles by Deneen L. Brown brilliant sister. She, uh, she writes some really good articles. Um, but what this, what this article talks about is despite the clear instructions in general order number three and the announcement that day in June 19th, 1865 and afterwards by major general Gordon Granger's men that the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation, from the executive of the United States. All slaves are free, all slaves are free. But despite this, not every enslaved African person in Texas was free with that proclamation. And if we look at, um, I'm gonna refer to my notes here on this, if we look at what general order number three stated, um quote the people of texas are informed that in accord- in in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the united states all slaves are free this involves an absolute equality of personal rights this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and property rights between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer And hired labor and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between an employer and hired labor the freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages okay so this is what general order number three says okay now, word of emancipation gradually spread over the vast state despite the efforts of some slaveholders to maintain slavery. Okay. Despite the efforts of some slaveholders to maintain slavery, but some are going to maintain slavery because there were not enough Union troops to totally enforce it all throughout Texas. Um, African Americans, however, would not be denied their liberty that had eluded them so long. Uh, when the news came, Entire plantations were deserted. Many, many uh, enslaved Africans brought from Arkansas, Louisiana and Missouri during the Civil War, returned home while Texas freed persons headed for Galveston, Texas, Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas and other cities where federal troops were stationed because there was more protection for them in those cities where federal troops were stationed. Um, OK, so now. I want to go back to, uh, this article from the Washington Post. Not all freed enslaved black people in Texas were freed on Juneteenth. Okay. Also, if you like this type of information, you want to support the African history network. We have the information in the thread of the broadcast. You can support us dollar sign the AHN show through cash app, dollar sign the AHN show through cash app, also PayPal, paypal paypal.me. Forward slash the A H N show. So just keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, do my uh, Sunday night radio show, pay some of the bills, etc. We also have the information at our new website, theAfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It has information about Cash App. When you go to Cash App, it'll say Michael and show my picture there, because there are about five or six fake African History Network Cash App accounts that are out there. They're using our logo, things like this. I've, uh, I've contacted Cash App. They've opened up an investigation about six weeks ago. They're slower than Heinz Ketchup. So I'm trying to get these fake African History Network cash app accounts shut down because they've been stealing money from us. OK, so when you go to our cash app account, dollar sign, the A-H-N show, S-H-O-W, and you'll see it scrolling at the bottom of the screen. It is, when you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. All right. Now, let's continue here. OK, so. In, uh, enslavers across the state of Texas resisted the general order number three, hiding the news from some, from hiding the news from some enslaved black people, some enslaved Africans. Many African people were forced to continue labor under the oppression of ruthless enslavers and unscrupulous plantation owners. So in some cases, the word is going to be Kept away from them. In other cases, they're going to find out they were free, but they were forced by their slave owners to stay in captivity. Okay. Because word is spreading from plantation to plantation. There was also another good article that I read. Now I have a whole file folder. So I'm not, I'm not new to this at all. I have a whole file folder on Juneteenth. I've done, I've been doing presentations for, uh, uh, going back to 2012, then I got a file folder here dealing with articles dealing with Juneteenth. But there was a good one that came out, um, uh, June 20th, 2020. Four enduring, um, four enduring myths about Juneteenth are not based on facts. We're going to talk about this also because this dispels myths surrounding Juneteenth history. One of them I've already talked about Then, with the Emancipation Proclamation four enduring myths about Juneteenth are not based on facts. So we have to correct the history of Juneteenth and we have to protect the history of Juneteenth. So everybody watching on Facebook and YouTube, give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like, share this broadcast on your social media platform, share it with your friends and family. OK, so we know that June 17th, 2021, President Joe Biden signed. Uh, into law, the bill that passed the House of Representatives, passed the U.S. Senate. It was sponsored by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas in the House of Representatives. We know our uh, sister mother, Opal Lee, Opal Lee, who was 94 years old last year. She's 95 now. We know she uh, marched for years to make Juneteenth a national holiday, a federal holiday. We know she worked for years and marched to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. She's also a member of Zeta Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, which are my sisters, because I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. So. um, The announcement on June 19th, 1865, did not end slavery in Texas. The barbaric institution continued in other forms and and by other names, according to historians. One historian, C.R. Gibbs, the the letter, uh, the initial C.R. and Gibbs, G-I-B-B-S, said there was almost universal agreement from statements of enslaved people that many Texas slave owners held off making the announcement. Uh, many black Texas, many black Texans did not receive the news until 1866. Quote, slave owners resorted to tricks. They delayed. They postponed. This was money, C.R. Gibbs uh, said. He's the author of the book, Black, Copper and Bright, B.R.I.G.H.T. Black, Copper and Bright, the District of Columbia's Black Civil War Regiment. He said they wanted to continue to get every last drop of sweat from slavery. Now, uh, even after Major General Gordon Granger's order. African people remained in quote, such a delicate situation in Texas. Uh, C.R. Gibbs said, you have the collapse of the Confederate government and roving bands of men who wanted to turn the clock back. A union officer said, quote, given a choice between hail and Texas, I would live in hell and rent out Texas. It was just that bad in Texas, he said. Now during the Civil War, Texas was a refuge for enslavers, as I've talked about before, and then and uh you know I spoke in um, Inkster, Michigan. Uh I spoke at two locations in Inkster, Michigan on Saturday, St. Clement's Church Saturday morning, and then also uh at the Floyd B. Simmons Recreational Center. They had a uh Juneteenth uh middle passage commemoration. Uh, event there. So I spoke there and, uh, uh it's important. See, see, this one, the one of the reasons why it's so important to celebrate Juneteenth, it celebrates freedom number one. But, but this gives us an opportunity to deal with the history of the Civil War, 1861 to 1865, and the history of Reconstruction, which is the period of time after the Civil War, 1865 to 1877, and the advancements that African Americans were making when it came to acquiring land, getting education starting businesses, getting elected to public office. There are about 2,000 African African American men who got elected to uh, elected office, uh, public office uh, during Reconstruction. And we're going to have a couple of uh, U.S. senators like Hiram Rose Revels, in 1870 out of Mississippi. You're going to have a majority of them are going to be in the House of Representatives. When we look at the state legislature of South Carolina, the majority of the state legislature of South Carolina were made up of African American men during Reconstruction. Then you're going to have the Compromise of 1877, which ends Reconstruction. We're going to see a reversal of these uh, gains that we're making, but we're also going to see an increase in domestic terrorism. Even during Reconstruction, we see this. Uh, this is why uh, 1871, the Ku Klux Klan Act is uh, implemented by uh, President Ulysses S. Grant, October 1871. Uh, he declares martial law in nine counties in South Carolina to crack down on activities of the Ku Klux Klan who are attacking and killing uh, African-American elected officials as well as uh, as well as white Republicans uh, who were uh, many of our allies. They were being attacked by the Klan and domestic terrorist organizations like the White League and the Red Shirts and things like this. OK, so. Uh, even after Major General Gordon, uh sorry, during the Civil War, Texas was a refuge for enslavers, evading emancipation. Quote, slave owners in Arkansas, Tennessee and Louisiana ran their Negroes from Arkansas, Louisiana and other parts of the states into Texas because the U.S. Army had not reached Texas because the U.S. Army had not reached Texas, said W. Marvin Delaney. A retired University of Texas Arlington historian and president of the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, also known as ASALA. ASALA is the, uh, organization that Dr. Carter G. Woodson co-founded, uh, September 9th, uh, 1915, uh, in Chicago. Okay. The Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, which is now the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. And we know in uh, February 1926, uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, uh, co founded he, he founded, uh, Negro History Week. Okay. The second week in, uh, February, Negro History Week, which in 1976, uh, became, uh, uh Black History Month. All right. Even though in Virginia, we know they were selling it, ce- celebrating it for, uh, uh, a whole month going back to about the 1940s and 1950s or so. All right. Now. Uh, after Major General Gordon Granger's order, General Order Number 3, the Union Army literally had to march across Texas to enforce the order and free enslaved African people. They literally had to march across Texas to enforce the order and free enslaved African people. Because keep in mind, they're on horseback. They're on foot. They're not in, they're not in escalades. Okay. They're not in expeditions. <clears throat> they're on horseback and foot. Texas is a huge state. Okay. So they're going through for almost a year delivering General Order Number Three. This is why June 19th was the agreed upon date to commemorate and celebrate the uh, general order number three being issued, but they're doing this for a number of days, not just one. It's, um, in some cases, white enslavers killed enslaved African people rather than allow them their freedom. In some cases, now this is part of it. I haven't, really, the only person I've heard talk about this was Joy Ann Reed today on the readout. I haven't heard in, in all the coverage that, that I've seen this year in uh, especially on cable news and uh reporters like here in local news news here in Detroit. None of them have talked about this. There were approximately two thousand five hundred enslaved African people who were killed by their slave masters in Texas to keep from setting them free. So when we deal with the history of Juneteenth, we come together for these celebrations. It has to be more than just a cookout. It has to be more than just uh, a, a dancing and singing things like this. That's fine, it's, we come together, but we have to have this historical component of it to protect the history of Juneteenth and correct the history of Juneteenth and educate our people on this history and educate America on this history as well because Americans are very ignorant when it comes to history. Okay, so and I wanna um also reference my binder here. This is one of the binders I use in uh the online history class I teach as well. <clears throat> From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, eighteen sixty-five to nineteen sixty-eight. There's actually two binders, two huge binders that I have pulling information for that tell me online class because there's a, a piece here dealing with the role of white female slave owners in 1850 and 1860 and I want to talk about one named Martha Gibbs who uh, fled Mississippi and went into Texas with her African slaves she's one of those people that did this okay so uh, Texas was Texas Texans were so resentful that African-Americans would become free that they literally carried out a pogrom P.O.G.R.O.M. They literally carried out a pogrom, said uh, W. Marvin Delaney, citing a speech. By Barry A. Crunch, a professor of history at Gallaudet Gallaudet. University, G-A-L-L-A-U-D-E-T, quote, they killed as many as two thousand five hundred. They were just murdered outright across the state, the state of Texas. Now, violence increased across violence increased against African-Americans between 1865 and 1868. <coughs> and we know we have the um, Opelousa Massacre of, uh, 1868 Opelousa, Louisiana. And that was surrounding politics and African Americans voting the Opelousa massacre. Um, uh, in some cases, enslaved African people in Texas were run down by bloodhounds or shot rather than being released from bondage. Quote, it takes almost, it, it, it takes almost over a year for the Union army to literally go across the state of Texas and free African Americans from slavery. So the article goes on to talk about how, what I've stated numerous times before, the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. Slavery formally ended in the United States December 6, 1865 with the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which stated, quote, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime where whereof the party shall never be duly convicted shall exist within the United States now people talk about a loophole that re-enslaves African Americans I encourage you that's a myth the 13th amendment is based upon what's known as the Northwest Ordinance of 1787 that phrase dealing with involuntary servitude things like this that already Existed and already applied to white men and they're given the same rights to African American men. And if you look at, uh, prison rates and things like this, even leading up to the 1970s, the prison rates in this country were relatively low. Yes, African Americans disproportionately made up prisoners, but what people call mass incarceration. That doesn't really start till about 1970, 1971, because Richard Nixon declares his war on drugs June 17, 1971. In front of Congress, and from 1970 to 1993, the U.S. prison population quadruples in this country, goes from about 300,000 in 1970 to 1.3 million in 1993. You can go to BJS.gov Bureau of Justice Statistics uh, website. Uh, U.S. government, bjs.gov. You can look at, uh, the, uh, incarceration, uh, numbers, uh, um, for decades. Now, this is before the 1994 crime bill. That wasn't signed to September 13, 1994. I know people think, like to think that, oh, that's 94 crime bill created mass incarceration. No, it didn't. You, you didn't look at the, you didn't look at the period of time from 1970 to 1993. U.S. prison population quadrupled during that period of time. That's before the crime bill was even signed in the law. OK, so <clears throat> watch the I, I interviewed Dr. Darrell Scott. History professor at Howard University. He's a historian, former past president of a Sala association for the study of African-American life and history. And uh, he's a friend of mine. I interviewed him for about two hours. We went through and dealt with, we, we, it's on our YouTube channel, Michael and Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. It's on my Facebook fan page, The African History Network as well. It's archived there. And you can just Google his name and my name. Uh, his name, D-A-R-Y-L, one R in, in his name, Daryl. You can Google his name and my name and the video will probably come up. And he went through step by step and dealt with how there's a whole misunderstanding of the 13th Amendment. People thinking that they re-enslave people, things like this. Now, there's an effort now by well-meaning people to, they say, abolish slavery and get rid of the 13th Amendment, uh, abolish the 13th Amendment state by state, things like this. Okay, that's that's uh, okay. That's that's if you want to do that, that's fine. But. The question I would ask people, if your argument is the Thirteenth Amendment is still enslaving people in this country, then there, um, from my understanding, there are four states that have abolished the Thirteenth Amendment. The question I would ask is: um, the day before the Thirteenth Amendment was abolished in, the, in those four states, how many people were enslaved because of the Thirteenth Amendment? And the day after it was abolished. How many people were free because the 13th amendment was abolished in those states? If you want to remove language, that's fine. But if you're saying people in those states where the law exists are enslaved because of that law, because of the 13th amendment and what you call a loophole, then my question would be in those four states where it has been removed, it has been abolished. How many, were people, how many people were enslaved the day before the law was abolished because of the 13th Amendment? Because you said that slavery still existed. So how many people were enslaved because of that? And the day after it was repealed or the week after or the month after, how many people were free? Because that law was abolished. So you can you want to remove language. That's fine. but. What evidence are you citing that people were enslaved because of that language? And. What states have abolished. Privatized prisons. Because the 13th Amendment was repealed in those states. Now, I know California abolished privatized prisons because it was on the, it was um, it was uh, passed in the state legislature, signed in law about Governor Gavin some um, things like this. Right. But I don't think that was because the 13th Amendment was repealed in California. Okay, so, uh, all right. Watch the interview that I did with Dr. Daryl Scott. It's an excellent history lesson. Now, well, people want to remove language. Okay, all right. So, uh, let me see here. All right. Now, Another thing that's extremely important to understand, and I've I've heard a little bit about this previously in, in all my research on Juneteenth, but probably nothing in mainstream media about this. You had slave owners in Texas after general order number three is issued. They're gonna flee Texas and take their African slaves and they go to Cuba and Brazil as a safe haven because Cuba did not abolish slavery until 1886 and Brazil did not abolish slavery until 1888. And there are descendants, of these white supremacist Confederates, their descendants that still live in Brazil today. They're called confederados. How many people knew about this? They're called confederados, okay? Now, some enslavers resisted. We go back to the article from the Washington Post. Not all enslaved black people in Texas were freed on Juneteenth. Here's the article, and I have my notes here written on it as well. You got to bear with me. My laptop crashed on me, and it went down and won't start up, so I have to... Like I said, send them to insurance company and try to see what they're gonna do and uh try to get I don't know how long that whole process is gonna take. I never had to do it before. Uh so I'm gonna see if I can try to get a laptop in the meantime because I'm crippled um, without it. <clears throat> but if we continue here, page three of this article or page four, some enslavers. Resisted. The Emancipation Proclamation order and resisted general order number three by fleeing. F.L.E.E.I.N.G. fleeing, taking their enslaved African workers south to Cuba and Brazil, where slavery had not been outlawed. Cuba outlawed slavery in 1886. Brazil outlawed slavery in 1888. And we know that, uh, the majority of the African, the Africans who were, uh, part of the middle passes who were taken out of Africa, the majority of them did not come to the United States. We know the largest population go to South America, especially Brazil. And then they're going to go to the Caribbean. They go to Haiti and Jamaica and Puerto Rico and Honduras. Uh, Hispaniola. And we know the Western third of Hispaniola is where you have Haiti, 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 St. Dominique, uh, what the French called it, Santo Domingo is what the Spanish called it. So the uh somewhere maybe four or five percent actually come to the U.S. OK. So this is a part of the history dealing with Juneteenth that almost nobody talks about these white supremacists that flee, these slave owners that flee Texas to avoid freeing their slaves and they go to Cuba and Brazil to keep them enslaved. Now the kidnapping of African people out of the country struck fear in those who were still in precarious situations in the control of their former enslavers without protection from Union troops. Frederick Douglass's brother, Perry Downs, P-E-R-R-Y-D-O-W-N-S, Perry Downs, who was enslaved in Texas, recounted hearing his enslaver say that he would run his, quote unquote, property out of Texas. He would run his, quote unquote, property out of Texas. Now, no one knows how many enslaved African people were driven farther south. By enslavers, because we know Cuba is 90 miles away from the United States. Okay, Cuba. Okay, and that was Spanish territory, and then Cuba's going to gain its independence. You have the um, uh, Spanish-American War, 1898. If you saw the movie Posse with Melvin Van Peebles and Mario Van Peebles and Sally Richardson, um, that movie Posse takes place in 1889. Sorry, it takes place in 1898. During, you know, the, the, uh, they were deserters from the army. From the U.S. Army that takes place in 1898 during the Spanish-American War. That's the backdrop. That's the setting, historical setting of that whole movie. That's a that's a fantastic movie. Posse. Big Daddy Kane is in there. That's a fantastic movie. And they have some deep history in there. One of the things they talk about is uh, approximately one third of what we call cowboys during the Old West were black african American. Okay, and the term cowboy originally was a derogatory term because white men were called cattlemen, cattlemen, or cow hands. African American men were called cowboys. Okay. But uh one are our, our skills when it came to uh roping uh, steer and, and 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 uh bull fights and all, all that stuff. OK, the rodeos and Bill Pickett rodeos, things like that. Our, our skill set was was uh, so good that it caused us to have a lot of it because even white men to respect a lot of us, one, because of our skills. Uh, but cowboy became a general term and lost its negative stereotypical stigma. OK, but originally cowboy was a pejorative derisive uh, term. Used for African American men, calling them a boy. Okay, so let's continue here. No one knows how many enslaved African people were driven farther south by enslavers to avoid freeing them out of Texas. And, and going, uh, some are going to go into Cuba, others are going to take their African slaves to Brazil. Quote, there were unnamed numbers. Of, of black people taken out of, the, out of the United States to places where there was still slavery," end quote said. Um, this was uh, C.R. G- C.R. Gibbs, the historian C.R. Gibbs. Now, slavery was not abolished in Cuba until eighteen eighty six, as I said previously. Brazil. Became the last country in the Americas to abolish slavery in 1888. So they're looking, so just as many of these slave owners like Martha Gibbs, who we're going to talk about here in just a minute, who, and Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers talks about Martha Gibbs in her book, They Were Her Property, uh, which deals with, which deals with white women and slavery. Okay. They were her property, white women, as slave owners in the American South. This is a book that came out February 2019. I did a presentation about Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers' work uh, and her book uh, when this came out in 2019. Martha Gibbs was a white female slave owner from Mississippi, and she she leaves Mississippi and takes her African slaves into Texas, okay, because Texas was a safe haven for many slave owners because there was less of a uh, presence of Union troops in Texas and Texas was more removed from battles during the Civil War also alright so uh, slavery was not abolished in Cuba until 1886 it was not abolished in Brazil until 1888 to this day descendants of Confederates who drove enslaved African people into Brazil celebrate with festivals. They celebrate with festivals to this day in Brazil. These these descendants of these white supremacist Confederates celebrate to this day with festivals in Brazil in the cities of Americana and Santa Barbara de Oeste. D apostrophe O E S T E. Celebrating the Confederate States of America with Confederate flag displays and dances. So these were two cities in Brazil that these con, that these Confederates fleeing the U.S. with their African slaves, they founded these two cities. Their descendants the, of, of, of these white slave owners still live, some of them still live in those two cities today. Okay. There's a, there's another article I'm going to reference dealing with this. Because this article here from the Washington Post references another article from the Washington Post on July 11th, 2020, that goes deeper into this history. This is a piece of history related to Juneteenth that is not talked about. Okay. One, approximately up to 2,500 enslaved Africans being killed by their slave owners here in Texas, here in the US, in Texas to keep from freeing them, that's not talked about. And then those slave owners that flee Texas with their African slaves into Cuba and uh, Brazil is not dealt with as well. Now in the United States, as communities prepare for Juneteenth celebrations, historians say revelers should also pause, also pause in somber acknowledgement that the hardship of involuntary labor and racial terror against African people continued long after Major General Gordon Granger stood on the courthouse steps in Galveston or at, um, the, uh, uh Ashton Villa, uh, in Galveston, Texas, which is a mansion on Broadway Street in Galveston, Texas. Okay. Uh, and, and going throughout issue, issuing special field order number uh, I'm sorry, uh general order number three, special field order number fifteen is what's known as 40 acres in the mule. Quote, Juneteenth should be celebrated to recognize the symbolic emancipation, the symbolic emancipation of African Americans from slavery in Texas, said um said uh the historian Delaney, W. Marvin Delaney, a retired University of Texas Arlington historian and president of the uh, Association for the Study of African American Life and History. He said, let's celebrate it, but also realize it took much longer and much more than an order from a Union Army General to end slavery in this country. It took much longer and much more than an order from a Union Army General to end slavery in this country. Once again, as I said before, And as I've been saying for years, Juneteenth did not free all African slaves in Texas were not free June 19th, 1865, or even after that, as they're going through issuing and delivering general order number three. Some are going to be kept enslaved until the following year, 1866, and then some are going to be forced to go with their slave masters into Cuba and Brazil. <clears throat> so, yes, we should celebrate Juneteenth. This is time for us to come together, celebrate who we are, celebrate our history, honor our ancestors, engage in economic empowerment and support African-American businesses. We have to have a political education component, not just talking about voting. What are you voting for? We have to have a political education component infused into these Juneteenth celebrations. Because when I do my presentations, I deal with history, political education, law and economic empowerment. Okay, politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties. Their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Politics it impacts every aspect of our lives. Okay, so all these things, and these issues and laws and things like this, policies that we advocate for, they're all shaped by politics. So voting is one part of politics, but who you vote for and the policy, policies you advocate for largely has to do with your understanding of history and law. Okay, so how's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like. How y'all like this type of information? <clears throat> if you wanna learn more about this type of history, be sure to visit our new website, TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You have to bear with me, my allergies are still bothering me. I'm allergic to pollen. They're much better than they were like three weeks ago, but you just have to bear with me. Uh, visit our new website, TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com. T-H-E. TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com. T-H-E, the you can order my DVD lectures there, and we have digital downloads also. Uh, this one deals with the real history of Juneteenth. This is about a two and a half hour lecture. Juneteenth History, Emancipation Day, but not Independence Day. We never got our 40 acres and a mule. Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign will come to get our check. It's a two and a half hour lecture. I got, uh, this one here, Black Wall Street from the destruction to the resurrection of economic empowerment. This is a two and a half hour lecture dealing with the real history of, uh, Black Wall Street, the origins of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma was founded around 1834 by Creek Indians who get pushed off their land in the southeastern United States because of the Indian Removal Act of 1830 signed into law by President Andrew Jackson. And uh the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians all go uh on what's known as the Trail of Tears over a thousand miles into Oklahoma. When they go into Oklahoma, they take their African slaves with them. Because what's known as the five civilized tribes of Native Americans, they all owned African slaves. So um uh, Tulsa was founded by Creek Indians. The word Tulsa comes from the Creek Indian word Tolasi, and this is uh a lot of the early African American landowners in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a lot of them got land from what's known as the Black Freedmen Indian Treatise of 1866 and the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887, which redistributed, uh, land to, uh, uh Native Americans and Black Indians. Uh, now white people get two thirds of this land. This is where you get the $5 Indian from, uh, because when white people found out that this, this land redistribution was taking place, it's about 138 million Acres of land that was being redistributed. Um, you had to anglicize your name. You had to anglicize your name to be put onto the dolls rolls. It was like a type of census, so to speak. So white people were paying $5 to get their names added to the dolls rolls and getting land also. Uh, this lets you hear, uh, why black men dom- when black men dominated horse racing and how an organized effort forced them out. Okay, this deals with how we used to win the Kentucky Derbies, dominate horse racing. The first Kentucky Derby was ran in 1875. When it was run. It was won by this brother right here, Oliver Lewis. He was 19 years old and a former slave. He won the first Kentucky Derby. Thirteen of the, of the 15 jockeys in the first Kentucky Kentucky Derby were African American jockeys. Many of them former slaves. Uh, Oliver Lewis. Uh, Oliver Lewis. Uh, Lewis's uh, trainer. His name was Ansel Williams. Okay, Ansel Williams was an older African American man. He was a former slave as well. So this deals with how we used to dominate horse racing and how we got pushed out of horse racing by jealous white men. This one right here, six principles of political self-defense, six principles of political self-defense, understanding how public policies and laws affect the economic conditions of African-Americans. This ties all that together, politics, economic empowerment, understanding laws and policies, etc. Okay, now there was a uh, so that's all at our, our new website theafricanhistorynetwork.com. dot com. You can also register for uh, the ten week online history classes that I teach there as well. It's right on the home page. Okay, so there was a um, a good article from there was a good article from history dot com, which deals with uh, the massive overlooked role. Of female slave owners, the massive overlooked role of female slave owners. This is from March 12, 2019. And it talks about the, uh, it, it references the book by Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers. They were her property. Uh, and it deals with her research. Uh, she's a African American, uh, African American uh, woman, brilliant sister. She's a history professor at the University of California, Berkeley. And, uh, her book deals with, uh, citing census bureau statistics and other, uh, evidence in 1850 and 1860 in this country, 40% of slave owners were white women. Okay. Uh, the name of her book, they were her property, white women as slave owners in the American South came out in February, 2019. Slave holding, uh, and the article, uh, says the high number of people uh, and they, refer, they talk about Martha Washington, George Washington's wife, because Martha Washington owned more slaves than George Washington did when they got married. Um, Stephanie E. Jones Rogers, a history professor at the University of California, Berkeley, is compiling data on just how many white women owned slaves in the U.S. and in the parts of the uh, 1850. And 1860 U.S. Census, the 1850 and 1860 U.S. Census, uh, data she studied so far. White women make up 40% of all slave owners in 1850 and 1860. Uh, slave holding parents typically gave their daughters more enslaved people than land. Slave owning parents typically gave their daughters more enslaved African people than they gave them land. Quote, what this means is that their very identities as white women are tied to the actual or the possible ownership of other people, end quote, said Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers. Now, the article goes on to say white women were active and violent participants in the in the slave market. They bought, sold, managed, and sought the return of enslaved African people in whom they had a vested economic interest. Owning a large number of enslaved African people made a woman, a a white woman, a better marriage prospect, a better marriage prospect. Once married, white women fought in courts to preserve their legal ownership over enslaved African people and often won in court. Quote, for them, slavery was their freedom. For them, slavery was their freedom, said Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers. Now, uh, in this article, they talk about a, um, they talk about Martha Gibbs, page three. White women also fought to maintain the wealth and free labor that slavery provided them through the Civil War. Civil War is 1861, 1865. OK. The U.S. The, as Union troops made their way through the south, freeing enslaved African people. White women, white women would move enslaved people farther from the soldiers path. One white woman named Martha Gibbs, Martha Gibbs, not Marla Gibbs, 227 in the Jefferson. There's no place like home. I mean, no place, child, not Marla Gibbs, Martha Gibbs. Okay, one white woman named Martha Gibbs even took enslaved African people to Texas and forced them to work and forced them to work for her at gunpoint until 1866. This gets back to what I was talking about, saying all enslaved African people in Texas were not freed in 1865. Okay, the slaves that Martha Gibbs owned is an example of that. She kept her African slaves by force until 1866. And this is even after uh, the 13th Amendment ratified uh, December 6th, 1865, when Georgia ratifies the 13th Amendment. Now, after the Civil War, seven white women. After the Civil War, seven white women sought to recreate slavery through exploitative work contracts. Through exploitative work contracts. Some also wrote books com- portraying. The institution of slavery as gentle and benign. The most famous being Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, which is one of the biggest pieces of propaganda when it comes to the history of slavery. Gone with the Wind and Mammy and Butterfly McQueen, you know, uh uh Hattie McDaniels, uh Mammy and Butterfly McQueen. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies, things like this. One of the biggest pieces of propaganda. Uh Rhett Butler. You know, Clark Gable, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, you know, Scarlett O'Hara, all this is just nonsense. Some also wrote books portraying the institution of slavery as gentle and benign. The most famous being Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, a woman born 35 years after abolition, after slavery ends 1865. Yet, as Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers argues in her book, they were her property, it was not only white women, quote, ideological and sentimental connections, end quote, to slavery that made white women defended. Scarlett O'Hara would have been protecting her economic interests too. Scarlett O'Hara would have would have been protecting her economic interests too. So check out this, uh, second article. Now this is one of, the, this is one of the articles we, that we, uh, reference. This is in, uh, the, the class I teach on Sunday, Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Usually I show you the information on my website, but my laptop is, is, is down and, uh, I can't show it to you. But if you visit our new website, the, African history network.com we have it in the uh, thread of the broadcast the African history network.com you can register for my 10-week online classes they're on sale right now limited time only. regularly $130 they're on sale $60 Uh, after you register you have full access even after the class is over with so a year from now two years from now you can go watch the entire course you can use this information with your family with your children also we have a bundle pack. You can register for both classes for one hundred dollars. OK, uh, so the name of this article here, uh, the massive overlooked role of female slave owners. This is from history.com, which is the official website of the history. Channel. And this is from March 12th, 2019. The class I teach on Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and black power. 1865 to 1968, from the Civil War. I'm sorry, the One I teach Society, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in the school. Okay, and we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. So we have a bundle pack. You can register for both classes uh, right now. We have a bundle pack for $100, and it's Additional content that you get is free lectures from me in digital format. So it's about a $360 value that you get. Um, it's about, a, <coughs> excuse me, about a $360 value that you get, uh, for $100. Okay. And like I said, even after the 10 week online classes are over with, you can, uh, go back and watch it anytime. Okay. And, um, you go back and watch it any time. You still have full access. A year from now, two years from now, you still have full access to the class. All right. Uh, let's continue. Okay. Um, there's a this other article that I want to get to. This gets deeper into the the history of white slave owners in Texas fleeing Texas and forcing. Their African slaves to go to Cuba and Brazil so they could that so that they can continue to enslave them after 1865. 99.9% of the conversations dealing with Juneteenth don't deal with this, don't deal with this history. Okay. So uh, the article from the Washington Post, the first article from the Washington Post that I shared with you, um, That was. This one here now all enslaved black people in Texas were freed on Juneteenth. Okay, that came out June 19th, 2022. Uh, and, and, And another reason why this is so important. There's a lot of misinformation that's floating around in the media dealing with the history of Juneteenth, last day of slavery, things like this. Because it's a federal holiday. It gives us an opportunity to have this conversation about history and correct the misinformation. If it wasn't a federal holiday, you wouldn't see all these articles being written by uh, written about it. And, and look at the articles here uh, on, on the African history network on Facebook. And I post a lot of those. Articles. you wouldn't have this coverage in, in media. So we have to use this to one, educate ourselves to. Educate America and give America the massive history lesson that it needs. But that history has to be corrected. The history has to be corrected at WhiteHouse.gov. The history has to be corrected in the history books. And then we have to use that as a springboard to force the policies that we want and vote people in the office who will vote for those policies. Because it takes 218 votes to get any bill passed in the House of Representatives. So many of these bills will pass the House of Representatives but you don't have 60 votes in the Senate for it, okay? George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed the U.S. House of Representatives by a vote of 220 to 212. No Republicans voted for the bill. Remember that come November 2022. No Republicans voted for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, even though they talked about how, oh, it was so terrible, what happened to George Floyd. But when it came time to do something about it, you voted against it. Then when it goes to the Senate, it was blocked by lying uh, Senator uh, uh, Tim Scott of South Carolina who said the sticking point was defund the police, which is a lie because September 25th, 2021, uh, the Fraternal Order of Police and the International Association of of Police Chiefs put out a joint statement saying that defund the police was never part of uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act number one, number two, that those two organizations supported the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act and they talked about how it would protect the rights of police it would make communities safer. It gave additional funding for police because contrary to popular belief and even Senator uh, Cory Booker of New Jersey said this. There's an article from CNN that talks about this because he did an interview with CNN. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act actually funds the police. I've dealt with this on my show. The African History Network show. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act actually funds the police. It does not defund the police. It funds the police. Senator Cory Booker said the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act spends millions more on policing, policing, M-O-R-E, more, in addition to, okay? He said it spends millions more on policing. And uh let me see here. Hold on. We'll get <coughs> So, like, this is, so those maybe this is your first time watching, this type of research I do. See, this is, these are all articles here. I got two stacks of articles. Let me, okay, let me just show you let me just these people think I'm playing see I don't play game. this is I got two stacks to my right this is one stack of articles this ain't duplicate stuff okay this is one stack of articles this is the other stack of articles here this is the type of research that I do this is another stack of articles see this deals with the California reparations task force this is another stack of articles right here This is one of the this, the two binders that I teach from for my Sunday class. This is one of the binders. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865-1968. These are file folders of articles. This is one dealing with Juneteenth. I'm a historian. I don't play games. Proper documentation ends all conversation. This is my file folder on reparations. These are all articles dealing with reparations. This is my file folder on critical race theory articles dealing with critical race theory, what it is. This is, uh, this is, this deals with a bunch of current articles here. This is, uh, this one right here. This will actually a lot of stuff in here dealing with Buffalo, New York and the Justice Department and their response to shooting Buffalo, New York. This is, uh, so this, I have crates. I have a couple crates on the other side of the office. Full of file folders with articles. So, I don't play. All right. Now, this one, um, this article here. This gets deeper, deeper into the slave owners fleeing Texas, going into Cuba and Brazil. They lost the Civil War and fled to Brazil. They lost the civil war and fled to Brazil. Their descendants refused to take down the Confederate flag. This is from July 11th, 2020. Who has talked about this? Who have you heard talk about this, talking uh, talking about, uh, uh, Juneteenth? Because most of what I hear, a lot of the history I hear about Juneteenth is wrong. Okay. It was not the last day of slavery. Emancipation proclamation did not free the slaves. All the slaves weren't freed on Juneteenth in Texas. Just, but it's just wrong. To, Marie, to, to to Marina Lee Cobachini, C-O-L-B-A-C-H-I-N-I, to T-O, to Marina Lee Cobachini. Her middle name is Lee. Pay attention to that. It was a family tradition. Each spring, she would join the throngs who descended on a nondescript city in Brazil, don a 19th century hoop skirt and square dance to country music, square dance to country music. Now, she's in Brazil. They say, why are they square dancing? The theme of the annual festival was the Confederate States of America. This is in Brazil. How many people have heard of this? the theme of the annual festival was the Confederate States of America, the Confederacy. It's one of history's lesser known episodes. After the Civil War, thousands of defeated Southerners, thousands of defeated Southerners came to Brazil to self-exile in a country that still practiced slavery. After the civil war, thousands of defeated southerners came to Brazil to self-exile in a country that still practiced slavery. For decades for, for decades their descendants have thrown a massive party that now attracts thousands of people to the twin cities of Americana and Santa Barbara de Oeste, de O E D apostrophe O E S T, de OIST, to celebrate all things Dixie, to celebrate all things Dixie, D I X I E. The Confederate flag is everywhere, or what we call the Confederate flag, which is really the Confederate battle flag of Northern Virginia under General Robert E. Lee's army. OK, the flag that's on top of the Dukes of Hazard car in the in the car on the Dukes of Hazard, The General Lee is named after General Robert E. Lee, who's a white supremacist slave owner who took up arms against the Union to maintain slavery. He was, he was from Virginia. General Robert E. Lee. That was the battle flag of his army. He had the largest Confederate army. OK. And when he surrenders to General Ulysses S. Grant, April 9th, 1865, this, uh, many people say that's the end of the Civil War. So it's really going to ramp down uh, and start coming to a close, really coming to a close. But keep in mind, the Civil War is going to continue for... uh, another 16 months. The reason why is because even though General Robert E. Lee's army was the largest Confederate army, it was not the only Confederate army. There were smaller armies like General Joseph E. Johnston's Confederate army in Texas. He had 90,000 troops. Okay. Nathan Bedford Force had a, um, uh Confederate army as well. So terms of surrender had to be negotiated with each one of those smaller Confederate armies. So it's it's going to be August of eighteen sixty six that President Andrew Johnson uh announces a formal end to the Civil War. <clears throat> so it's gonna go on actually for another sixteen months, but to a much lesser extent. Okay now on flagpoles and knickknacks emblazoned on the dance floor clutched clutched by men clad in confederate battle gray decorating the grounds of of the cemetery that holds the remains of veterans of the rebel army confederate the traitors the confederate army they 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 have a, a cemetery there in those two cities where they're buried the immigrants known here in brazil as confederados confederados c-o-n-f-e-d-e-r-a-d-o-s confederados and the the confederates set up two cities in brazil americana and uh, santa barbara de oista in a country that has long been more preoccupied with class division than racism the confederate symbols Stripped of their American context, never registered much notice. But now, as the racial reckoning in the United States following the killing of George Floyd, May 25th, 2020, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, inspires a similar reexamination of values in Brazil, that has begun to change. OK, so keep in mind this article is from July 11th, 2020. OK, so basically two months after George Floyd was killed. Now Brazilians in recent weeks in July 2020 have demanded the removal of the notorious statue in in Sao Paulo of a 17th uh, of a 17th century settler who enslaved indigenous people protests for black equality have rumbled through several cities and in the two cities set, uh founded by uh confederates Americana and Santa Barbara The cities founded by the Confederates, Brazilians who have never been to the United States, are increasingly asking questions, piercingly familiar to Americans. Brazilians who have never been to the United States are increasingly asking asking questions, piercingly familiar to Americans. Where should the Confederacy be remembered? Should it be remembered on a flagpole or in a museum? Now, um, Marina Lee Colbaccini, who is. uh, She's a descendant of of one of these uh, confederates. She said, quote, my mind has been opened to the questions. She's 35 years old. Her uh, her middle name, Lee pays homage to the traitor, General Robert E. Lee, Confederate uh, uh, General Robert E. Lee. She attended the festival for most of her life, but now has stopped going. Despite worrying what her community might think, she has begun asking that that Confederate battle flag be taken down. She said, quote, it represents my family's tradition, she said. It represents my family's tradition." traditions but in the entire world in the united states they know what it also represents end quote now the debate has simmered for years one side is the fraternity of american descendants the group that uh the group that throws the annual party there in brazil tends uh tends and they tend to the confederate cemetery grounds and promotes a lost cause orthodoxy, reminiscent of the most ardent Confederate apologists. Now, the lost cause is a uh, something like about 125, 150 year effort revision, effort to rewrite the history of the Civil War, revisionist history, and make the South seem like they're the victims, and they uh, and they're the ones keeping Africans enslaved. And is to say that the Civil War, the South was fighting for states' rights. It wasn't about slavery, it's states' rights. No, you want a state's rights to keep Africans enslaved. That's what it was. Because in your statements of secession, you talked about how slavery was central to your way of life and central to your wealth that you've accumulated, things like this. So you want a state's rights to maintain slaves. Now, on the other hand, in the Black Union for Equality, which has been a leading Which has been leading a community charge to strip the festival in Brazil of the Confederate battle flag, considered by many to be a symbol of hate and repression. Okay. Uh it's an organization called the Black Union for Equality. Now, in what might be the farthest outpost of the American Culture Wars, a new battle over the Confederate battle flag is only just beginning. But it's but it's beginning. It's taking place in Brazil, OK, where these two cities exist that were founded by white slave owners um uh, fleeing, especially Texas. In 1865, going into Brazil to keep their Africans enslaved because Brazil did not abolish slavery till 1888. Some are gonna go into Cuba because Cuba did not abolish slavery until 1886. Okay, so uh the article goes on to say they have a section called a mass exodus in search of land and slaves. A mass exodus in search of land and slaves, okay in this article here from the Washington Post. The newspapers called it Brazilian fever, okay? Who, have you all heard this type of history before dealing with Juneteenth? Who's sharing this with you? Remember when you heard this first. The newspapers called it Brazilian fever. With the war lost, the Civil War, thousands of Southerners fearful of living under Northern rule among freed slaves were seeking other opportunities. Some pushed for Mexico, others pushed for Venezuela, but Brazil, which would not abolish slavery for another 23 years, because they abolished slavery in 1888, but Brazil proved to be the most attractive of these countries emperor dom 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 pedro ii a fierce advocate of the south during the war tried to induce their immigration offering free transport cheap land and an easy path to citizenship before long southerners from the united states Sailed out from New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama for Rio de Janeiro. Eventually between 8,000 and 20,000 emigrated between 8,000 and 20,000 Southern whites flee up, flee the U.S., flee the South because they don't want to be under Union rule and they're fearing these freed African slaves. Maybe they're fearing retribution. I don't know. You know, chickens coming home to roost. So between 8,000 and 20,000 flee and go into Brazil. Have you ever heard this before? Now, Colonel Charles Gunter, G U N T E R, urged in a letter to Charleston, to the Charleston Mercury newspaper in 1868. He said, quote, move here and buy land, move here and and buy land. We have here a beautiful place for our village in the center of rich land and on a grand river. We have here a beautiful place for our village, the center of rich land and on a grand river, end quote. But historians say one of the central draws was a country where Southerners could freeze time and continue a lifestyle that had been put to a violent end in the United States. They wanted to stay dominant and keep their slaves. Involved said, give it up, turn it loose. They didn't want to give it up, turn it loose. Okay. They had a good thing going. They said, we're going to leave the country to keep these Africans enslaved. Because you know, one would ask the question. So you know, a lot of so a lot. One of the stereotypes is that you know, African people were lazy, and and the slaves were lazy, and things like this, right? So you, so let me get this straight. You're gonna leave the country and sail to Brazil to keep lazy Africans enslaved, and you got to take care of? No, they weren't enslaved, and we had skills. Also, see, the other thing was. There were at least two hundred and sixty-two skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country from sixteen, nineteen, to eighteen sixty-five. We were the shipbuilders, the basket makers, the barrel makers. Actually, this so I teach this in, in my classes. So be sure if you like this type of information, be sure to visit our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. It's much easier to navigate. On your smartphone, you can order the DVD lectures right from the smartphone, register for the online classes I teach right from the smartphone. So this helps this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, pay the bills, etc. cetera. Um, there are at least 262 skills, trades and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619 to 1865. OK, at least 262 skills, trades and crafts and. These skills are going to help build America. A lot of these skills we brought with us from Africa. So we were the, uh, uh, anchor makers, the artists, the, uh, uh, we were barrel makers, bartenders, barbers, uh, ship makers, engineers, all different types of things like this. This information, uh, comes from the book by James Newton and Ronald Lewis okay the name of the book is called the other slaves mechanics artisans and craftsmen it's from 1978 okay the other slaves mechanics artisans and Craftsmen." Um, at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History here in Detroit they have a display when you go through their main exhibit called and still Rewrites. they have a display when you go through and come out on the other side They have a display that lists all these uh, skills, trades, and crafts that we had in this country from uh, 1619 to 1865. Okay. So what happened was I was there. uh, I was there um, June 7th, uh, 2013, I think it was, or 2012. I was there and. No, I'm sorry. It's uh, July 13th, 2012. I was there, July 13th, 2012. And I was looking at the exhibit and they had a sign there that said you could not take pictures. OK. So I went home and got a pen and a pad. And I spent an hour writing down all the skills, trades and crafts that we had in this country from 1619 to 1865. And then uh, I numbered them. Okay, that's how I know it's 262. is a photocopy of what I wrote down. All right. This is just the first page. It's 66 on the first page, skills, trades, and crafts that we had in this country from 1619 to 1865. We didn't just pick cotton and cook food for the master. Okay, this is uh page four. And you see 262. That's how I know there was at least 262. Because I wrote them all down and numbered them. Alright, now. Um also if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, but AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign, but AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me, paypal.me. That helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. Okay, and, and uh, shut broadcasting on social media platforms. Give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like if you like this type of information. Uh, and we also have the information there in the thread of the broadcast. Uh, and visit our new website, the African History com. All right, now let's continue here. Um, but historians say one of the central draws for uh, the southern uh, these um uh, Uh, Southern whites was a country where Southerners could freeze time and continue a lifestyle that they had that that had been put to a violent end in the end in the United States in journals one bragged about how inexpensive Brazilian slaves were in journals one bragged about one person people would brag about how inexpensive Brazilian slaves were, another lamented that they could not bring recently freed American slaves to Brazil. Quote, they came to continue having slaves. uh, Luciana, uh, Luciana Brito, B-R-I-T-O, a historian at the Federal University of. um, Racon Bahia, B-A-H-I-A. She said they associated the existence of slavery in Brazil with the maintenance of a system of race, racial subservience. They associated the existence of slavery in Brazil with the maintenance of a system of racial subservience. End quote. Now, now, Luciana Brito and other historians have scoured letters journal entries and deeds of sale. One researcher found that more than three fourths of Southerners white Southerners from the US South who wrote to the Brazilian government to inquire about immigration were slaveholders. More than three fourths of white Southerners who wrote to the Brazilian government to inquire about immigration were slaveholders. At least 54 families bought at least 536 African slaves in Brazil upon entering, uh, sorry, uh, upon entering Brazil. At least 54 families bought at least 536 slaves upon entering Brazil. Using racial epithets, they expressed fears of an African government in Brazil. OK, some people are just never satisfied. You're going you're going to flee the U.S. because you're afraid of union control and you're afraid of freed African slaves. Because now the shoes on the other foot. And you're afraid of the chickens coming home to roost. So now you're going to flee to Brazil. And you fear an African government in Brazil. Why, why don't you just go back to England? Or Germany or wherever your ancestors came from. I'm I'm just wondering, you're gonna go to Brazil, where the largest number of Africans were were, were taken into from Africa. That's where you're gonna go, Brazil. Why don't you go to England? Using racial epithets, they expressed fears of a quote unquote African government in Brazil and black rulers. In the United States, quote the Confederados, and once again the Confederados. This is what um, those uh, Confederates who set up two cities in Brazil will call. Uh, they said the city of Americana and um, Santa Barbara de Oista. d apostrophe o e s t a o e s t e. Quote, the Confederados presented themselves as refugees of a devastated America. Oh, now you're the victim. You enslaving African people, holding them against their will so you can profit off them. Now you're the victim, said Jordan Brasher, a geographer at Columbia State University, who wrote his dissertation on the Confederado communities. In Brazil, quote as the downtrodden, as the downtrodden, poor, defeated Confederate soldiers looking to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They also brought the ideology of white supremacy and racial terrorism from the United States to Brazil, and see white supremacy is like one of the biggest exports out of, uh, out of the U.S. Also. Okay, and stereotypical images of African people, things like this. These are, these are, uh, big exports, okay, uh, out of the U.S., but anyway. So, in one dark episode, two Confederate immigrants, uh, led a mob in the lynching of a police chief who refused to track down escaped slaves who refused to track down escaped slaves in front of his family he was killed in front of his family okay see they're exporting domestic terrorism into brazil and repeat this in one dark episode 2 Confederate immigrants led a a mob in lynching the uh, a police chief who had refused to track down escaped slaves and they killed him in front of his family. The Confederados were also suspected of assassinating a Brazilian Senator who supported emancipation of African slaves. Now, in 1888, Brazil became the last country in the Americas to abolish slavery, nearly a quarter century after the United States did, 23 years after the United States did. But interracial relations in, in the two countries, the United States and Brazil, were different. There were there were neither draconian racial distinctions in Brazil nor government prohibitions on intermarrying intermarrying between the races. The races mixed, yielding a country of extraordinary diversity, Brazil. Over time, some Confederados adopted new opinions on race over time some Confederados adopted new opinions on race. Now, Eugene C. Harcher, H-A-R-T-E-R, who was raised among the Confederados, wrote in a book about the community. He said, one of the changes most evident in the Confederados of my youth Was their belief in tolerance among the races. He said this they had acquired from the Brazilians. One of the changes most evidenced in the confederados of my youth was their belief in tolerance, I.N. their belief in the tolerance among the races. This they had acquired from the Brazilians. So for some of these confederados, their ideas about race are going to evolve. The confederados and their descendants assimilated and intermarried. English was largely forgotten. The towns become indistinguishable from their neighbors. Now, one of the few elements to remain was the yearly Confederate party. With its pageantry, its music and its and its flag, the Confederate battle flag. Now, they go on to talk about the uh, organization Black Union for Equality. Claudia Monteiro, M-O-N-T-E-I-R-O, Claudia Monte president of the local black union for equality, rarely paid much attention to the party, okay, that the confederados, um, had in the name of that celebration is, uh, it's, uh, it's celebrating the Confederate States of America in Brazil. Claudia Monteiro, president of the local Black Union for Equality, says she spent 40 of her 48 years in Santa Barbara de Oista, which is one of the towns founded by the Confederados, the uh, former Confederates from the South here in the U.S. And to her, it was nothing more than a town quirk. It was nothing more than a town quirk. Living in Brazil, other racial issues had always seemed Seemed more pressing, including those in her own life. Like many Brazilians, she grew up identifying as Morena, M-O-R-E-N-A, Morena, Marina, Marina, M-O-R-E-N-A, Marina. One of the many distinctions in this country's racial taxonomy, rather than the darker Negra, N-E-G-R-A, Negra. Now Negra. GRA, She was led to believe by mass media. And even in her family was, quote unquote, always ugly. OK, Claudia Monteiro talks about how she was led to believe by mass media in Brazil and even in her family that to be negra negra. Meant that you were always ugly. Their hair, she said, their hair was ugly. Their form was ugly. She said, I did not want to be black. She's in Brazil. She said, I did not want to be black. Not until she saw the work of the photographer, Sebastiao Salgado, did she reassess that belief that she did, did not want to be black and to be negra meant that you were ugly. In his images, she said, she recognized so much beauty and dignity in the faces of Africa and Brazil that she committed herself to black history and activism. And it's important to understand, you know, one of my teachers, Dr. Linda Jeffrey says, whoever controls the history. Uh, whoever, whoever controls the history uh whoever controls the images controls the self-esteem the self-development the self-work okay and um, you know if you listen to the African History Network show I talk about how what you do for yourself what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself what you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself what you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read heard and seen about yourself okay So when you control the man's, when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do it, teach what it doesn't know. So this deals with the control of images and media. Things like this is very powerful. And whatever is disseminated becomes imitated. Okay, so read the rest of this article here. They lost the civil war and fled to Brazil. Their descendants refused to take down the Confederate flag. This is from July 11th, 2020, the Washington Post written by Terrence McCoy. Okay, powerful article. This deals with a piece of history tied to Juneteenth that's not that's not talked about. You had slave owners in Texas and other southern other southern states that did not want to live under union rule, they're going to flee Texas and in some cases take their African slaves with them and go live in Cuba, which is about 90 miles away from the U.S. because Cuba did not abolish slavery until 1886, or they go to they take a ship and they go on a ship, go on a boat, go to Brazil because Brazil did not abolish slavery until 1888. How many people have heard this before? Because in all the coverage dealing with Juneteenth and the media, things like this, I ain't hear about this. In the uh, past couple of years, I've just heard of just a very little bit about this. This article uh, the article that came out uh, June 19, 2022 by uh, Deneen L. Brown for the Washington Post had, had some of the most most uh, most information in it, and she was, and she also cited the article that I just showed you from July 2020. Uh, not all enslaved black people in Texas were freed on Juneteenth. This is what I've been saying for years. We have to really study this whole history and its content so when we come together with Juneteenth celebrations, we can educate our people. Juneteenth is an opportunity for us to give America the massive history lesson that it desperately needs because Americans are very ignorant of history. All right, uh, and then check out this article here from National Public Radio org. Four enduring myths about Juneteenth are not based on facts. This is from June 20th, 2022. Uh, the first myth President Abraham Lincoln issued his Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863, and, and And it's outrageous that it took two and a half years for the news to finally reach enslaved African people in Texas. I keep hearing this. It's not historically accurate. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, So they break this down, what the facts are. Many African slaves knew about Lincoln's executive order emancipating them. The news was widely covered in Texas newspapers with an anti-abolitionist spin with an anti-abolitionist spin and black people would never and black people would have overheard white people discussing it in private and in public. Moreover, uh, Edward T. Cotham Jr., Texas Civil War historian and author of the book, Juneteenth, the story behind the celebration, said that there was An incredibly sophisticated communication network among slaves in Texas. There was an an incredibly sophisticated communication network among slaves in Texas. He said news like that spread like wildfire. We know some slaves knew about the emancipation. Even before slave owners. It did not mean anything because there was no army to enforce it. See, it took a military force. There was about 2000 Union troops. That come into Galveston, Texas, along with Major General Gordon Granger. OK. And they are enforcing General Order number three. And they're taking back control of Texas from the Confederacy. They're ta- They're taking physical control under Texas on behalf of the union. All right, now. Um, Then the second myth, Major General Gordon Granger presented, uh, Major General Gordon Granger pinned general order number three, the Juneteenth order and is credited with freeing Texas slaves. The fact is the order which includes the powerful language, all slaves are free and quote, absolute equality between slaves and slave former slave, uh, former slaves and former slave owners. That language is actually written by major general Gordon Granger's staff officer, major Frederick Emery, who hailed from an abolitionist family in free Kansas quote, as a crusader against slavery in Kansas, uh, major Frederick Emery was well versed on the subject of emancipation, writes uh, Cotham in his Juneteenth book, okay? Uh, Edward T. Cotham Jr. Sam Collins III, the unofficial ambassador of Juneteenth tourism in Galveston, Texas says, Major General Gordon Granger is just one of the characters in the story. He's not any great hero. Matter of fact, he was no friend of enslaved people. There are reports of Gordon Granger sending runaway slaves back to slave holding states. Now the third myth, Major General Gordon Granger read the Juneteenth order from a balcony, to the people of Galveston, Texas, announcing that all slaves are free. Now, the fact of the matter is, according to uh, Eric Gotham, Jr., Edward Gotham, Edward T. Gotham, Jr., author of the book Juneteenth, the story behind the celebration, according to him, uh, General Gordon Granger never read the order publicly, nor did any member of his staff. It would have been posted around town, particularly at places where African Americans, African people gathered, such as the Negro church on Broadway. Okay. Uh, Broadway is the street in Galveston, Texas where Ashton Villa is. So according to the story, he reads the, uh, general order number three from the balcony of the Ashton Villa. And that's on Broadway street in Galveston, Texas. Um, OK, the Negro Church on Broadway as Reedy Chapel A.M.E. Church was then called. Most enslaved African people in Texas learned of general order number three when the slave master called them together and read them the news. When the slave master called them together and read them the news. The fourth myth surrounding Juneteenth is that Juneteenth was basically a Texas version of the Emancipation Proclamation. Okay, now General Order Number Three, the fact is General Order Number Three stated unequivocally all slaves are free, but it also contained patronizing language intended to appease planters or slave owners who did not want to lose their workforce. 41 words, of the brief 93 word order urged enslaved people to stay put and keep working. Okay, general order number three, um, general, general order number three said the free people are advised. Let me pull this up here Just a second. it said the free people are advised to remain at their present homes and work for wages remain at their present homes and work for wages they are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military post and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere that benefits the planters the plantation owners because now this gives them an opportunity to still have a labor force a workforce okay uh, to till the soil and things like this. This gives them the opportunity to still have a labor force. Now, Sam Collins, uh, said, quote, the, the last two sentences advise the freedmen to remain at their present homes. The last two sentences advise the freedmen to remain at their present homes and work for wages so you're free But you don't go anywhere. Now, we do know that you're going to have some that leave. You're going to and you're going to have uh, 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 some of these African slaves who are going to who who came from other. um, They came from other states and they were taken in by their uh, slave masters uh, into Texas. And they came from uh, Arkansas and Tennessee and Louisiana, things like this. Some of them are going to go back to where they came from. Now, Ed Cotham said, uh, Ed Cotham Jr., author of the book, um, Juneteenth, the story behind the celebration. He said many years later, the formerly enslaved who were interviewed uh, for the 1930s WPA Slave Narratives, OK, the WPA uh, 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 Works Progress uh, of America. WPA slave narratives, he said they remembered when the freedom paper was read to them because you still you had the, the last of the former slaves die in the uh, 1950s. OK. So he said that. Um, they were in the 1930s. The federal government interviewed some of these former slaves who were still alive, and they said that they remembered when the freedom paper was read to them. The slaveholder wanted to keep them working, but they did it, but, but they didn't hear it that way. The slaveholder wanted to keep them working, but they did not hear it that way. Once they heard, once those enslaved Africans heard, quote, all slaves are free, end quote, they said to hell with you. That's what made the Juneteenth order so memorable and made it succeed, end quote. This is according to Ed Copham uh, Jr. Okay, so check out this also this other piece Four enduring myths about Juneteenth are not based on facts. This is from June 20th, 2022, by John Burnett. For npr.org national public radio so be patient with me like i said you know normally i do this from my laptop and i can show you this stuff on the screen and i'm broadcasting through restream on my smartphone my laptop died on me so i'm trying to get it fixed or get it replaced or something see what's, see what's going on because i'm crippled without uh a laptop i run my business from that and edit video and all other of, of our shows and everything okay so um Hopefully you like this type of reformation. Follow us here on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. Okay. Support the African History Network. You can uh, register for the online history classes that I teach. Visit our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Is our new website. You can order uh, my DVD lectures there. Uh, you can order have a two and a half hour lecture dealing with the history, the real history of Juneteenth, Juneteenth history, Emancipation Day, but not Independence Day. We never got our 40 acres in the mule. Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign. We're coming to get our check. I do a lot of history, Civil War, history, reconstruction, all that here. That's $10. We have a digital download format also. You can email us at AHNshow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. 8HN show at afterhistorynetwork.com It's going to a digital download format Digital download is $5 uh, We have my uh, Two and a half hour lecture dealing with the uh, real history Of Tulsa, Oklahoma and Black Wall Street and uh, the Greenwood District, North Tulsa Black Wall Street from destruction to the resurrection Of economic empowerment Because we rebuilt uh, Black Wall Street, which is the business district, district Which started at the intersection of Greenwood, Archer, and Pine we rebuilt it with our own dollars and um, we had um, help from surrounding black townships also. Okay. So we rebuilt it. Yes. I know a lot of people talk about it was burned down to the ground. A lot of it was burned, but we rebuilt it 1926. Um, Dr. WB Dubois goes to uh, North Tulsa and he talks about how it's thriving again. Businesses will rebuild things like this so that somehow that gets left out of the conversation. We somehow just want to talk about white people destroying what we have, but we don't talk about rebuilding it again. Okay, Uh, And then you can register for the two online uh, 10 week history classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, And this also helps us keep doing research, helps finance the African History Network because I don't get I don't have billion dollar donors or million dollar donors that finance this. Okay, we supported by our people. Uh, Saturdays, normally 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, it's, uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach in school. And on, uh, Sundays, it is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. It's very visual. There's um, this binder here. A couple of the articles that I share with you here for this presentation come from the online class uh, that I do on Sundays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power. And this is one of the binders, the two binders of information that uh, I teach from This is part of the curriculum. I put all this together myself this historian of a study in 30 years. So this is all that I put all this together. Um, we start in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase for the Sunday class. Louis, Louisiana Purchase and the Haitian Revolution, because those two events are related. And then we go through our history, Mexican-American War, Texas, when it's, in, it, it, it's independence, 1836, Mexican, Mer, Mexican-American War, 1846, 1848. Treaty of Guadalupe-Hidalgo, 1848, which ends the Mexican-American War. The U.S. gets the territory that makes up Colorado, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, California, uh, Arizona, and New Mexico to get that for about 15 million dollars from Mexico. And uh, we do with the. Compromise of 1850, which organizes that land. That. That. Uh, That the U.S. gets from Mexico because of the Mexican-American War, and the Compromise of 1850 consists of five bills. The fifth bill is the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. Okay. Uh, Also, you have uh, we deal with the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, and we deal we go through chronologically. Each class we deal with about a ten-year, twenty-year period of history chronologically to the Civil War. Reconstruction era, Jim Crow era, Great Migration 1915 1970, 6 million African Americans migrate from the south up north, including from Texas. We talk about things like the Black Exodus of 1879, where you have about 6,000 African Americans migrating from Louisiana and Texas uh, primarily, uh, and they go into the Kansas Territory, they go into Kansas. Uh, we do the Great Migration, 1915, 1970, World, World War I, World War II, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement. Okay. So that's the Sunday class. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You don't have to be present in class. I don't take attendance. Don't give tests. You can see me. I can't see you. There's a live text chat so you can ask questions. If you missed a class, this class is archived. You can go watch, go watch it anytime, even a year from now, two years from now. Class is still there. You can go watch it. OK. The information, I would say, is PG-13, so you can share it with your children uh, also. And then on Sunday, I teach uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. So Kemet's one of the original names for Egypt, meaning the land of the blacks. And we do thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. You go through and analyze that as well. We deal with ancient Africa. We deal with the African presence here in this land. Going back tens of thousands of years as well. And uh, This is some information that Dr. David M. Hotef deals with in the book, The First Americans Were Having Documented Evidence. All right, so both of these classes are thoroughly documented. Uh, also, the classes, classes on sale right now, $60, $130. We have a bundle pack. Visit the theafricanhistorynetwork.com, our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We have a bundle pack of both classes you can register for $100. As soon as you register this content, you can start watching right away. Also, if you want to support the African History Network, down sign The AHN Show, S-H-O-W, uh, through Cash App and through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show. We have the information in the thread of the broadcast and it's at our website, Network.com. When you do it through Cash App, when you go to a Cash App account, it'll say Michael and show my picture there. So if you type it in, be sure to type in the full Cash app tag, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W, because there's some fake African History Network cash app accounts out there, and they're using our logo, trying to get them shut down now. You go to ours, get to say Michael and show my picture. Okay, so thanks for joining us today. Give us a thumbs up, give us a heart on, and, uh, give us a like on this broadcast. Listen to the African History Network show Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Hopefully by this Sunday I'll have a new laptop one way or another either from the insurance company somewhere. I got to buy one. They have to buy one. I can't operate without a Uh But we'll be on Sunday, 9 p.m. To 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The After History Network show We broadcast on the social media platforms. And I'm on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation WFDF here in Detroit. I'm a radio talk show host here in Detroit. Download the iHeartRadio app. Search for 9, 10 a.m. WFDF. You can listen to all those shows live. And also search for the African History Network on iHeartRadio because we have our own channel, so they have about three hundred of my podcast archive. Wherever you get your audio podcast from, search for the African History Network show because we're on ten different audio podcast platforms: iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Castbox, F and Player, Blog Talk Radio, etc. Google Podcasts, Facebook Podcasts. Search for the African History Network show. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember, thanks for you. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. Happy Juneteenth. We have to correct the history and protect the history of Juneteenth. This is one of my Juneteenth shirts that I got from the uh, uh, three day Juneteenth Parade and Music Festival in Atlanta, Georgia. I, I've spoken there a few times and I'm a vendor there and I'm one of the presenters. This year I stayed here in Detroit because people contacted me in advance. They wanted me to uh, speak here in Detroit. So I said, okay, I'll stay here. Um, remember right now it's correct wrong behavior it's not over till we win Wakanda forever when we come together and celebrate Juneteenth we can have fun but we have to have the historical component political education component we have to deal with the legal component and deal with law and then have the economic empowerment component as well and part of economic empowerment is supporting African American owned business as part of it the other part of economic empowerment Is these corporations like Walmart that want to capitalize on Juneteenth and sell Juneteenth products, which they should not. We should shut that down. What we have to do is flip that and and say, wait a second, you want to capitalize on Juneteenth. How many African-Americans do you have on your executive board? Where do you deposit your money? How many black-owned banks do you deposit money in? What percentage of your profit do you deposit in black-owned banks how many contracts do you give to african american owned businesses who handles your advertising how many african american owned uh, uh advertising agencies do you do business with or are you contracted with where do you spend your advertising dollars what african american owned media not african american targeted media african american owned media specifically what percentage of your advertising budget is spent with african american owned media see that's an investment there's a difference between you selling products targeting the African American community and us renegotiating our relationship with corporate America, which is what we should do with all these corporations that we spend dollars with. This is something one of my teachers, Dr. Paul Anderson, has been talking about for years, but especially with, with Juneteenth and to a large extent, African American History Month, February, all these corporations that want to capitalize on Juneteenth, all this stuff, this is what we should be pushing to them. This deals with renegotiating our relationship with corporate America. This deals with leveraging our economics to enforce our political agenda as well. With economic empowerment. Okay? Because we're not just talking about jobs, even though we need to talk to them about what percentage of your your, your employees are African American, then we go to upper management, middle management, upper management, executive board, things like this. So we have to renegotiate our relationship with corporate America. From one of just being consumers to having more of a partnership. Okay. And getting these contracts, getting a, a greater percentage of their advertising dollars for our advertising agencies and African American owned media and radio stations, TV stations, uh, uh, uh on the digital platform. Okay. The, uh, uh, digital media as well. All right. We have to get out of here right now. It's correct. Wrong behaviors. Not over till we win. we kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Happy Juneteenth.
1: Ido Network International, in collaboration with STL Black Woman, DACA and ACTA present the Royal Pilgrimage to the Americas, August 24th through the 28th. The African kings and queens are coming to you for business, networking and sharing of Pan-African ideals. The venue will be the illustrious En Garde Arts Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. A royal cultural experience and exhibitions. Trade and investment opportunities in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas. A royal pan-African summit hosting keynote speakers and a red carpet banquet. Come and witness our an African royal coronation ceremony. Register at www.idonetwork.org to book your ticket to wine and dine with African royalty. Vendor opportunities available. Get face to face with the royals who own the land and resources for business. Contact DACA for deal room information at 602
2: 730
1: 4572.
0: Jeanette Davis is a well established author with six published books black survival in white America from past history to the next century was published in 1995 and it delves into the history of African Americans before slavery up to contemporary times the great divide between blacks and whites was released in 2008 and her autobiography black just like my mama was published in 2010 soulful journey The Business of Beings was released in December 2021 and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry and Master Being Human were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis' writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth, letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today.
1: What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skincare and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com.
0: iRedify is a black-owned digital platform that showcases black and brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read ebooks. Listen to audiobooks and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at ireadify.com. Sign up for your membership today.
2: The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry. It's larger than the art world and I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old, and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Natori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time.